Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Today's program brought to you by Cenex. And our friends at Cenex have the latest and greatest in premium diesels like Roadmaster XL and Ruby Fieldmaster. Great lubricants for your equipment, including Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Coming up on today's program here in just a second, we'll talk markets with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. We'll also get a look at the weather outlook here for the week ahead with DTN meteorologist John Baranek. We're going to talk the fertilizer markets. There's been some moves there, including some um, pullbacks on duties of certain fertilizer imports. We're going to talk about that with Josh Linville, the VP of Fertilizer at Stone Next, coming up here in segment three. And then we'll wrap the show. We're going to talk about pasture conditions and grazing tips and more as we're working through fall and heading towards winter. Heather Gessner with South Dakota State University will join us coming up here at the end of the show today. First up, though, I mentioned uh, we're going to talk markets. Joining us now to kick things off, Darren Newsom, senior market analyst at Bar Chart, is with us. Darren, hope you had a great weekend. And look at that soybeans. It looks like they're the talk of the uh, grain marketplace to start off the week, Darren. Yeah, they they sure are, Jesse. And and you know we saw the same old story uh, overnight, where you know the initial part of the overnight session saw a lot of buying come in to the January futures contract and, you know, kind of pulled away from March and so on. We saw, we saw Jan, oh, I don't remember how much, some, some, some 17 or 18 cents, something like that. And what it just looks like is that we're continuing to make some overnight sales. Uh, when it happens at that point of the overnight session, certainly looks like it's coming from the Eastern hemisphere when it happens like it did late last week. Uh, and, uh, you know, we saw it during the course of the day, most likely Western Hemisphere. We've seen Mexico in the market uh, as well as uh, China and unknown destination. So, I mean, we can kind of get a good read on who's doing what uh, just by when soybeans rally overnight. Now, that being said, you know, and basis continuing to firm, uh, but basis overall is still neutral to bearish. It hasn't really changed that much. And to me, the key We'll, we'll get our next we'll get our next read on export demand with our inspections, which were as of Thursday, uh, last Thursday, uh, and then this coming Thursday we'll get our weekly export sales and shipments, and it's there where the soybean market still has its biggest problem because total sales, which is total shipments plus unshipped sales, is still running twenty eight percent behind last year's pace, and so you know we're seeing the seasonal firming of bases, we're seeing some seasonal movement uh, of soybeans. But we're still not able to catch up with last year. And last year wasn't anything to write home about. So we still have weaker demand. It's just right now we have smaller supplies that are being tucked away. And that's helping push the basis market. And in the overnight sessions, help push futures higher as well. Well, Darren, as I look at these markets and I hear some chatter from farmers, maybe some farmers selling uh, happened here the last few days on this rally mm -hmm. Some folks, though, they see the market going up and up and they're thinking, oh, it's got more to it. I feel like we should exercise some caution here just with the overall grain market dynamics that we need to maybe look at rewarding this soybean mm -hmm. rally sooner than later, potentially. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, you know, we, we have seen some technical turns, you know, in this market, uh, but the fundamentals, the, the big, the, you know, the long-term fundamentals haven't changed. We still have futures spreads that are neutral right now. So, you know, we know that U.S. is still a secondary player in the global market. Uh, it's just that we're in that six-month window right now where we've got an opportunity to move some beans. So, you know, it's pushing the market up. But it's also getting a little bit ahead of itself. It's coming up on some resistance near, you know, looking at the Jan contract up near 1375. You know, if we've been making some cash sales along here, get ready for it to pull back a little bit, see if that brings some more buyers back into the market, and then we make another rally. So I do think we re reward this. Uh, I do think we reward these rallies with some cash sales. Don't have to sell everything at one time. You know, we, we've got some time to, to do that. We are in uptrends, but we don't want to sit back and hold it forever because, 
again, the U.S. is not a key player at this point. China is going to continue to look to South America, and only if those, and only if Brazil has a weather problem, will U.S. move front and center again. Darren, I know a headline Sunday evening uh, with Saudi Arabia looking at the crude oil market. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that in your Monday morning commentary. Get us up to speed there. What's going on in this crude market right now? Yeah, it's interesting. Saudi Arabia, to nobody's surprise. I mean, no one should have been surprised by this. But they extended the the uh, the production cuts of a million barrels a day through December. The market has known that. The market has been inverted. The market has been, you know, future spreads have been inverted. And even then, we've seen the inverse in the spot spread go from $2 over at the end of September down to only $0.28 cents at last week's close. So even though we still have a bullish supply and demand situation, even though we know there's going to be these production cuts, the global supply and demand situation is not as bullish as it once was. Part of that is seasonal. We're just in that time of year. We don't get as much. We don't get as much travel. At least right now, we're getting ready to move into travel season. But we don't have as much gasoline demand and so on. So you know, we do see a seasonal sell-off. We do see a tendency for uh, spreads to break a little bit, and it's still long-term bullish. The but the market just really didn't react. We we added like a one and a half to two percent in the Brent crude and, and the West Texas intermediate markets, but it wasn't a runaway. It wasn't like you know buyers were just rushing into the market overnight. It was actually relatively calm compared to what it might have been, particularly when we add in, you know, what continues to go on over in the Middle East. So I found it interesting. We had the headline come out. It was expected. We've seen the future spreads do what they do. Uh, futures market reacted a little bit. And now we've moved on. Now we're going to see what the next set of headlines brings. Darren, how about the livestock trade? Should get a few notes from you there as well. Cattle starting in the red for uh, the beginning of the week with hogs just kind of quiet. Any notes in the protein sector overall here today? Yeah, the, the first thing that jumped out at me was, you know, we're seeing boxed, we've, we've seen boxed beef weaken a bit uh, towards the end of last week, uh, particularly on the choice side, which is, which is, which you mean on the select side, which is interesting, uh, you know, losing about seven bucks, almost seven and a half bucks over the you know last three days of the week. So, you know, certainly that that's an interesting aspect. We didn't see much trade uh, in the cash market last week. It seemed relatively flat up around the 185 area, both in the South market, in the Southern market, mostly. So, I mean, there wasn't a lot for the futures traders on the open of Monday to get excited about. So, you know, with nothing else to do, they, they just sell the market. You know, behind all that, kind of as a backstop, we still have what we saw as the strength of the uh, the U.S. stock indexes to finish off last week. So there could be some residual buying, some residual support. But I mean, if we look at those charts, and I looked at them over the weekend, both live cattle and feeder cattle, they're still in downtrend. So we have to be expecting some some selling to come back into the market, maybe not from the commercial side, but if funds say, look, we've ridden this thing for a long time, we've taken a lot of money out of these markets, you know, it's time for us to jump out, maybe look somewhere else, and then at some point get back into cattle. We could certainly see that play out over the coming weeks. Definitely a lot to keep our eyes on here, no doubt. And we always appreciate the time and the market analysis here. Thanks for joining us. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, have a great rest of your week ahead, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Darren Newsom there with Bar Chart joining us here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Coming up next, we're going to shift our focus to weather. We'll talk with John Baranek from DTN. That's next on AOA, Agriculture of America. Turning to biologicals for improved plant nutrition and nitrogen fixing may feel novel to a lot of farmers, but it's a proven method for decades. Nobody knows this better than Terramax, a leading innovator of biological inoculants for more than 25 years. Their strong roots in microbial technology means they know what it takes to deliver stronger roots for crops acre after acre. When you decide to boost your yield with biologicals, turn to Terramax. Then visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more. 
Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. On the November episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discuss the importance of export markets, MAP and FMD funding, and more with Janice Hiley, who serves on NCGA's Market Development Action Team and the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, along with NCGA Trade Policy Director Nancy Martinez. Think about this. Funding for these two programs has not been increased in almost 20 years. And you might say, well, what do these programs do, Janice? It's all about those relationships we have with countries that we export to. The support comes from these type of programs. In 2020, the economic output produced by ag exports was over $300 billion. And as Janice was saying how crucial MAP and SMD are, they actually are very effective federal investment programs, so the return on investment is over 24 to 1. Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind, a partnership with the National Corn Growers Association on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Today brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Oh, we're trying to wrap up fall harvest here across the U.S. We're watching South American weather, too, and some of the early challenges in Brazil and Argentina. There is a lot to uh, keep our eyes on here, both at home and abroad. When it comes to the weather, as we're getting into the month of November, let's talk about it. Joining us now, DTN meteorologist John Baranek is with us once again this week on AOA. John, always good to talk with you. Hope you're doing well. I am, Jesse. Hope you are, too. Uh, we got kind of a wild week. Well, wild in a relative term, I guess. We've got mm -hmm. lots of, of disturbances moving through the country here this week. So lots of potential here for uh, changing temperatures and uh, precipitation across the country. Um, nothing that looks overly heavy, uh, which is, I think, a good thing for anybody out there still having to do field work. But I know it's real slow up in Wisconsin and, and Michigan right now and has been for a while. Um, and they're getting rain today. Uh, that won't be that helpful either. Um, we got another system moving through, uh, you know, kind of midweek. We, we got that kind of moving into the northern plains here tomorrow and then kind of across the northern tier of the country. And then for Wednesday and Thursday, um, th that's going to carry a cold front south into the country and, and bring some milder temperatures here to the northern tier um, uh, yeah. later this week. And then we'll see kind of another disturbance attach itself to that front across the southern plains on Thursday and produce some pretty decent rainfall down there for Texas and Oklahoma, and then kind of move that uh, uh, disturbance eastward here to for, through the weekend and get some, you know, pretty decent rainfall in some of those drier areas in the uh, the, the south. Uh, you know, you're talking about the, the lower Mississippi Valley into the southeast, which have seen drought expanding uh, over la the last several weeks. So they'll get a, a good dousing of rain down there. So overall, I mean, it, it, it's good to get some water into some of the soil around there. Um, and, uh, you know, anybody who's got winter crops that are still, develop, um, you know, establishing here, uh, haven't gone dormant, are, are looking at, you know, at least some chance for rain here this week, which is uh, 
pretty good sign. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the temperatures dip behind that cold front, but only briefly. Uh, next week's going to be another warm week, it looks like, east of the Rockies. So uh, we're going into the to mid-November with some pretty decent temperatures uh, overall. Well, and I find it quite interesting that we're seeing uh, some of the temperature readings that we are seeing. I know we had that cold snap, but then, you know, getting the bit of the warm up here through this past weekend into early uh, this week. And then you mentioned more mild temperatures coming here as we get into next week as well. It's just it's quite interesting with this weather pattern, how it's shaping up and where the jet stream is kind of riding right now across the U.S. And outside of some of these disturbances, I'd have to think that is mild temperatures got to give us a good chance to try and wrap up this field work here in the next week or two? I think so. I think you're right on that. Um, and, you know, if, if you look strictly at the actual temperatures, I mean, we're getting into the 80s uh, in Texas and Oklahoma here today. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that'll be kind of moving its way eastward um, uh, over the next couple of days before that front comes through. And then next week, I think we got another good chance of, of 80s there across the southern tier of the country again. So, um, yeah, I mean, especially the farther south you are, the, the better chance you have at getting some of that field work done. I mean, we still have snowfall uh, or snowpack across northern North Dakota here this morning where temperatures didn't really break freezing too well uh, over the weekend. Um, most of the, that heavy snow that, that we saw fall a couple of weeks ago in, in Montana and western North Dakota melted off, but there's still some, some left up there. So, you know, there's still folks that still are like, yeah, looks great, but uh, we might still be having some issues here for the for the next couple of weeks well i know some of this precipitation that we have seen you mentioned some of that snowpack and just some of the other areas that saw heavy rains here recently i know that's held out the mississippi river a little bit uh, we're back up near uh, the low level uh, low stage level it sounds like uh, what's the latest you're hearing as far as the uh, mississippi river system john yeah, I mean, uh, kind of one of the, the key benchmarks is the Mississippi River at Memphis. And that just this morning popped up above that low stage. So they've had, you know, all kinds of crazy issues uh, with record um, record low water levels on the Mississippi River there uh, south of, of the Ohio River, where that all kind mm -hmm. of comes together uh, for quite some time, for, for most of October. And um, brought some records there. Uh, we finally kind of broke that here today. But... You know, we need a lot more rain. Um, you know, it we may be kind of out of the the worst of it, but you know, it's it'd be pretty easy to fall right back into the that really low problem uh, if we don't get additional rain. Luckily, we are getting some rain here this week, and it's kind of widespread across a lot of the country, so it should uh, should help out. Uh, I know a lot of the forecasts, if you look at them, are kind of like a, like a two week long forecast. Have these river levels kind of dipping again, but they only take into account the next forty eight hours worth of rainfall, so they don't really account for what's going to happen later this week. So, um, you know, overall, we're, we've, we've come out of the, the, the worst parts of it, but it's not like we're in a great situation yet. We're going to need a lot more rain. Uh, fortunately, El Nino really favors the southern half of the country uh, with decent rainfall. Um, and uh, hopefully that means some, uh, some pretty good uh, recharge into the, the lower Mississippi here uh, coming up. We are talking with DTN meteorologist John Baranek here today on AOA. John, let's move down to Brazil and Argentina. We've been watching the weather down there. It's the early part of their planting season. I know we need to keep that in mind, but there are, uh, there are quite a few folks who are sounding some of the early alarm bells, so to speak, as far as how the weather is looking across Brazil and into Argentina. So get us up to speed on the latest that you are seeing there. Is it is it something that we really need to be concerned about or we just need to keep an eye on still here as we roll the calendar into November? I guess that depends on your temperament. I mean, uh, you're right. We are early in the season, but, you know, half of the soybeans are already planted there in Brazil. Um, you know, they'll plant their soybeans before uh, the corn coming up in January and February. And if they don't get that soybean crop in the ground at an early enough time, that really pushes everything back and uh, really causes a lot of concern for that second corn crop. That's the Freena crop. So um, the concerns are real, maybe not so much for the, uh, the soybean crop that's being planted now. I mean, there are issues. Uh, we've, seen, we've seen a lot of dryness in central Brazil. And that's caused uh, some delays to planting there. It's caused uh, some need for replant for some of the, the, the producers that got out and, and, and planted early just to see their crop dry up. Um, so they've got issues with that. 
Um, but yes, it's very early. Um, I don't think that the dryness now is really going to impact the soybean crop too much. I mean, we might see some issues there from central Brazil about it. Probably a lot of um, anecdotal stuff, maybe not widespread. Um, but, you know, the wet season rains are going to come. Uh, they, they already have. They've just been sporadic. And even, even you know, this sporadic nature is still leading to um, decent rainfall amounts. It's just not normal. So, I mean, if, if, if you get half of the normal rainfall in central Brazil, you're still talking three to six inches of rain each month, which mm -hmm. is plenty of rainfall to uh, produce a good soybean crop. I think the issue is that it's, it's, it's really limiting to uh, building the soil moisture for that second crop, uh, that second corn crop that would really needs it. And if they have delays, um, like we've been seeing a little bit here, uh, creeping up, um, you know, that pushes back their planting date for that corn and the, the, the deeper into 2024 that they plant that crop, the more issues they're going to have, uh, one, they just lose that on sun, uh, sunshine. So, um, they'll be limited by that. Uh, but two, um, they're going to run into the end of the wet season or, um, without making it to maturity and, you know, uh, trying to hang on through a dry fall season is not really uh, an optimal situation for corn. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, Southern Brazil has been completely wet. They've had all sorts of crazy records uh, in terms of rainfall down there. And that's really sogging things down. Um, it, it's, it's amazing. They're still planting through it anyway. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, but, you know, we're, we're seeing all sorts of issues with, with, uh, with flooding down there. And, you know, that's not really good for, for growth. I mean, it, all of us know up here that if you've got a wet field uh, that just won't dry out, that the yields are not going to be good on that. So um, I think that's actually the, the bigger problem is, is southern Brazil and its wetness and its continued forecast for wet conditions. Um, this week is kind of more of the same problems. Um, we had some decent rainfall in cent central Brazil last week and into the weekend. That's moved all the way up to northern Brazil into the Amazon. So they're going to be a little bit on the dry side. Well, a lot on the dry side here this week. Southern Brazil got a break from the rainfall, uh, luckily, over the weekend. But they're going to get right back into it this week. they got another couple of systems moving through, and it looks like it's going to bring in some potential, at least for some heavier rain going into next week as well. So um, things just not looking good uh, in Brazil. Now, again, like we said, I mean, it's early. Um, yeah. Whether or not that has huge impacts or just slight impacts to their crop production, I think is, is the, the remainder to be seen, but um, uh, it's definitely something we need to watch out for because any production issues we get out of Brazil uh, are going to throw markets kind of in for a loop. So um, it's, it'll be close watching for Brazil. Argentina, on the other hand, has yeah. been kind of much better. We, we've seen a lot yep. better uh, improvement in their rainfall and they've been getting steadier, moderate to heavy rain instead of the slogging that we've seen in southern Brazil. So Argentina's actually been in a good spot. It's really Brazil where we're keeping up right now. We'll be watching it closely. DTN meteorologist John Baranek, thanks for joining us on AOA today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. Talk to you next week. It's good to talk to you. Good to talk with you as well. All right, coming up next, we'll talk fertilizer with Josh Linville from Stonex here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Back with more right after this. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains are higher this morning, led by beans. Wheat are up a few pennies, while corn is on either side of unchanged. Livestock is mixed with fats and feeders lower. Hogs are higher currently. 
Now, official Ukraine customs data is indicating that it exported 9.794 million metric tons of grains and pulses so far in the current marketing year that began on July 1st. That's down from 14.272 million in the same period last year. November shipments so far total 550,000 metric tons. That's down from 1.07 million a year ago. Marketing year wheat shipments total 4.87 million metric tons, followed by corn at 4.101 and barley at 698,000. Now, ships are moving in and out of Ukraine's ports, particularly ports at Odessa, with increasing regularity, but constant attacks on its port infrastructure are taking a toll. In fact, another missile and drone attack damaged port infrastructure at Odessa overnight that impacted warehouses, unloading equipment, and grain cars. Meanwhile, Ukraine continues to develop overland routes as it negotiates with Eastern European countries through which the grain would move to ports. But these channels also increase costs for the grain movement. Now, it is feared that Ukraine farmers will plant fewer crops in 2024 due to low financial returns relative to the risks of farming in a war zone. Now, in South America, we did see weekend rains largely a half an inch to almost two and a half inches in Brazil, locally up to almost five inches with coverage over 50 to 55 percent of the soybean belt. The rains narrowed the areas of short-term stress to roughly 10 to 15 percent of the soybean belt, mainly in the center-west areas, although the heat returns with just patchy rains for the next couple of weeks. The VIX is trading near 15 this morning, which is just above Friday's six-week low. The dollar is firming up, and crude oil prices are about 2% higher. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Kids across America are going to school hungry. Millions of kids every day. Hungry kids get sick more often and can struggle in school it can be harder for them to focus and learn. But one simple thing can help change all of this for a hungry child in America. Good healthy food and the energy it brings. With help from caring people across America, No Kid Hungry is providing healthy meals and hope to hungry kids so they can build better futures. We want to ensure that all of our kids have healthy meals every day. Thank you. Thank you for helping feed our kids. To learn more about ending child hunger in America, go to helpnokidhungry.org today. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen back with you here. Today's show brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Well, we just talked with DTN meteorologist John Baranek, who mentioned that the weather outlook outside of a few disturbances looking pretty good to try and get some more fall field work done here across the U.S. this week. And into the first part of November. Well, some of that entails fertilizer application. Well, we're going to talk about the fertilizer market right now and get the latest details on a few headlines moving around. Josh Linville, VP of Fertilizer at Stonex, is with us. Josh, good to have you back on AOA today. Hope you're doing well. Hey, man, we're starting out the week on the top side, so we're doing all right. Well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And I know late last week, the Commerce Department Lower duties on phosphate fertilizer imports from Morocco from almost 20% down to a little over 2%. A huge, huge move there. Talk about that news and that decision that came down from the Commerce Department. How does that affect things here for us at home? Yeah, man, big shock. Uh, In fact, we had actually lost all hope that they were going to do anything because they had voted on Fosagro, which is a Russian company, they'd moved their rate from like 9% up to 26%. I'm going off memory here, but around that type of a number. So we thought, man, there's no way they're going to touch Morocco. The rate was set at approximately 20%. They had originally said, we think we need to drop it to 15%. Got the news. They dropped it to 2.12%. So, I mean, not only did the North America buyers get a big win just from lowering, the, uh, just from getting a rate lower, but drastically lower than anybody that I at least talked to had anticipated. So now the question is, well, what's next? How quickly do fertilizer prices fall? How quickly do phosphate prices fall? 
And unfortunately, we're saying pump the brakes. Um, it's not going to be a tremendous help for the fall. The SMD is already in place. We're not going to get a single vessel from Morocco in time. I mean, if you send one right this second, stick a bow on it. Because by the time the tons actually get to where you are, it's going to be Christmas. So it's not going to help us for the fall. And we're not yet certain if Morocco is going to send product. 2% rate doesn't seem like a lot, but they've been fighting this thing for years. We mm -hmm. could see Morocco pump the brakes and say, you know what? We're still not coming. We still want that rate to be zero. We are going to bypass the U.S. marketplace until that rate is down to zero and not a second more. So we've got to wait and see what the reaction is from the, the, the power players. So in other words, we got to kind of look past the headline here a little bit and really examine the the different facets of this and essentially just kind of pump the brakes a little bit here on, on this whole ordeal until, until we see some more concrete moves. Is that, yeah. is that kind of what I I'm getting here, Josh? Yeah, it's a great way of saying it. it. Basically I, I spent the last part of last week being a little bit of a Debbie downer because everybody's calling all excited. Oh, this is great. And it's like, well, it may not be as good as you think it is. So we, we do need to see how the next few weeks go. You know, start to listen and see, do some vessels start going get loaded up and headed this way, or does it stay quiet? And we'll learn that sooner than later. Josh, what about as well? I know we've been watching the Israel Hamas situation, the war there. And I know Israel is a, a big potash exporter. Mm -hmm. What's some of the latest you're hearing there? Are we seeing any impacts on the potash side of the fertilizer market right now? Fortunately, no. Uh, the potash operation has been left alone. Supply chains for potash has been left alone. No impact that we have seen or uh, witnessed in the marketplace. So, so far, so good there. Uh, obviously, it takes one missile, one rocket to completely change that outlook. But as of today, that remains untouched. Uh, one thing we did see actually last week is that Israel had shut down their natural gas pipeline that heads into Egypt. For a couple of days last week, uh, you know, that pipeline sits right off of Gaza. I think there's a little bit of worry of maybe some sabotage or something. It caused a couple of plants in Egypt to shut down for a few days, but it sounds like everything is back up and going. But it just it, it shows you just how quickly this thing can change. I mean, it's the whole situation has kind of left the headlines. But from a fertilizer standpoint, we are only one or two steps away from this thing completely changing. I mean, we could go to bed at night thinking, hey, we're good. Prices are looking softer wake up the next morning and it's, you know, we're talking huge price gains. What about uh, the most recent India urea purchase? I know that tender is complete and, uh, you know, we look at countries like India, China, et cetera, to see their involvement in the global fertilizer market. What's some of the latest news there and will that have an impact on the U.S. market? Yeah, so they actually, on this last tender, they purchased 1.68 million tons massive amount of tons and, and the interesting thing was very few only a quarter million ton had come from china and very quickly the bulls jumped out trying to set the narrative that oh they lapped up all the uh, the free tons out there and china wasn't a big player this thing should be bullish well it's gotten very very quiet since that point and this is something i've been bringing up to quite a few folks look around the world over the next 60 days who is the country or the region that's going to step up and be the buyer that sets the price floor out there um, Europe, of course, is having some production issues, but they purchased ahead. They're doing okay. And their production rates are much higher than they were at the worst time. Uh, Brazil needs some tons, absolutely. But they've also gotten used to getting tons from their, uh, uh, you know, their BRIC Alliance members. And so tons just show up and they just price it when it gets there. So they're not worried. And same thing here in the U.S., North America. Uh, buyers have been really reluctant to step in. You know, interest cost is a big deal. We don't want to overload it too early. So it just feels as though this thing is going to get very, very quiet. We may see India step back in the market later December, but at this point, if we don't see prices correct lower, it seems like things are going to get very, very quiet. And we struggles in industry. When we get quiet like that, you know, warehouses get full, interest costs rise. You don't know where to go with it. You get nervous. Prices do tend to slide. Josh, as we turn uh, to fall nitrogen application, uh, we've talked about that here recently on the show, just some various tips from agronomists and more. Uh, what's that fall demand looking like here? I know we're already seeing some of that nitrogen application across the country. We will no doubt see more in the next few weeks. How are things looking there here as we look at the U.S. Midwest? It's looking good. Uh, and Hydra's side, it looks like everything that we can tell. Now, of course, the manufacturers are not going to share their sales book. That's not nothing they ever do. But by all accords, everything that's being talked about in the industry, 
looks like they've got a very, very good sales book on for the fall. So at this point, it all relies on Mother Nature. Uh, areas that need rain, will they get it? The areas that don't need rain, will they stay dry and give everybody a chance to get out in the field and get this stuff applied? So the outlook remains very, very good for anhydrous demand this fall. Uh, same thing for phosphate and potash. Now, I see phosphate being a little bit higher priced than it should be. But I also think that potash is well priced enough that when farmers step in, most of them will look at it as a package, right? They're not going to just put on phosphate or potash. They're not going to pay for two applications. So it's a package deal. The potash looks good enough to offset the high price of phosphate. So we think both are going to have a good fall run as well. And when you look at next year's crop, you know, we're still using, you know, going off of Arlen Suderman's uh, forecast of 92 million acres. That's a lot of demand for next year. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. We do have a lot of work ahead of us as we're looking ahead to next year. And, and you know, any tips there that uh, farmers should be thinking about? I, I would have to think most folks you know, already have their fall needs for right now locked in. If they don't, then obviously they got to make some moves. But thinking about that spring season, spring time frame, et cetera, and beyond, anything you're watching or want folks to think about as we move into 2024's decision making? Yeah, it's, you know, two things. Number one, uh, we've still got some logistical issues here in North America. I'm sure you've had folks that, a lot smarter than me on the river systems talking about, you know, low waters and things like that. We've had a boost. Uh, some of these rains from last week came through and helped boost up the levels. They're back to somewhat decent, but that's a short-term blip. And so we need to continue to have those conversations with our supplier, with our retailer, to make sure that they kind of have an idea of what you're anticipating, what you're going to need, when you're going to need it. Not that we see massive changes year to year, but the more of these conversations we can have earlier, the better prepared everybody can be for it. So continue to try and have more, not less conversations there. And, you know, there's a little bit of trepidation on the grain markets. Um, these fertilizer prices today look pretty good when you start looking at, let's say, December 24 corn. It's it's continued to hang around 510, 515 here in recent days. As long as those prices hold up, price of fertilizer is okay. If all of a sudden we start to see those fall off, all of a sudden the fertilizer doesn't look so great. So we're continuing to talk about that. You know, if you're going to buy the fertilizer, let's look at selling some grain against it. That's the best way to lock in that value. It takes that risk off the table. Last thing we want to do is buy something that looks good today, but then fast forward six months and say, oh, wait, that doesn't look very good anymore because the other side of the, the, the market completely changed on me. I hope that's not the case. I hope everybody mm -hmm. bought the low and sells the high. But a lot of the times, I know, at least personally, I miss that. Well, and I think you bring up a very great point there, Josh. Overall, we talk so much on the grain side about our risk management and making sure you do this or do that in terms of your marketing plan. Well, we have to think about that same mindset of risk management in the fertilizer market, don't we, Josh? Day in and day out, we got to think about that because uh, it's all part of our operation. Absolutely. One of the things I always on my presentations I give throughout the wintertime, and I'll continue to do it this winter, is I talk about that at its absolute core. And, and farming is so, so much more than this. I'm not trying to sit there and demean what's going on. But farming is just about inputs and outputs. It's about manufacturing. If you look at a lot of the manufacturers around the world, they're not trying to call it the low of the steel market, the low of the plastics market. They'd like to, but they look at the ratio and say, if I can buy this for this and I can sell this for that, and I can keep this kind of margin in the middle. That's what it's all about. It's securing that margin. And I know for a lot of grain originators, they get frustrated. That, Why don't more people sell you know, next year, December 24 corn? Well, part of it has to do, I haven't raised a crop. I haven't made a decision. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. But ultimately, we don't know is 510 corn good, bad, indifferent, because we don't know what the inputs look like. And for a lot of farmers, when you really start to have that conversation, that's what they come back and say is like, I don't, I don't know what my urea will look like or my anhydrous or my phosphate or my diesel or this or that. And there's going to be some inputs. Mm -hmm. There's nothing we can do about it, but the inputs that we can lock in ahead of time, that's a this conversation that we need to have. That takes that risk off the table. That, that takes the risk off of selling your corn at five and all of a sudden urea goes back to $900 or vice versa. Yeah. A lot of things to take into account. We appreciate the time and the insight as always. Josh Linville, VP of Fertilizer at StoneX. Josh, great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. We appreciate it. Thanks, sir. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about pasture management with Heather Gessner from South Dakota State University here on AOA, brought to you by Setex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Back with more right after this. Now. We tend not to think about now, 
We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments, and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand-in-hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. On the November episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discuss the importance of export markets, MAP and FMD funding, and more with Janice Hiley, who serves on NCGA's Market Development Action Team and the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, along with NCGA Trade Policy Director Nancy Martinez. Think about this. Funding for these two programs has not been increased in almost 20 years. And you might say, well, what do these programs do, Janice? It's all about those relationships we have with countries that we export to. The support comes from these type of programs. In 2020, the economic output produced by ag exports was over 300 billion. And as Janice was saying how crucial MAP and SMD are, they actually are very effective federal investment programs. So the return on investment is over 24 to one. Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind, a partnership with the National Corn Growers Association on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Are you curious about biologicals for stronger crop health? You're not alone. At Terramax, they've seen more farmers just like you choosing to apply biologicals with increasing success. For more than 25 years, they've been harnessing the power of microbial inoculants to strengthen roots, improve soil health, and boost yields acre after acre. If you're ready to get a biological boost, turn to the experts at Terramax. Visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more about what microbial technology can do for your farm. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416.
Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Let's turn our attention now to pasture conditions, grazing opportunities, and some tips for management here as we have winter right around the corner. Joining us on AOA, South Dakota State University Extension Livestock Business Management Field Specialist, Heather Gessner. Heather, it's great to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well. Hey, it's good to be back. And yeah, things are clicking right along up here. So doing good. Well, glad to uh, have you here. Good to hear things are well in your neck of the woods there in South Dakota. Let's uh, talk about getting uh, getting ready here for fall. And, you know, we've seen some okay rains. We've seen some snows in parts of the upper Midwest here the last couple of weeks. And I know we had a lot of drought issues, but I'd have to think that some of this uh, fall moisture's helped out our soil moisture and, and maybe helped some pasture conditions a little bit, Heather. You know, it's really been kind of strange. I'm in the southeast part of the state, and, you know, it was pretty darn dry all summer, and then we did get some rains in the fall. And some of the rains, you know, kind of added up to be measurable, and there wasn't a mud puddle to be found. So everything was pretty much soaked in, and we had some fall green up That really was kind of encouraging for our producers with you know, cows out on grass yet that didn't have the corn out. They're not ready to go to corn stalks. So looking at that late season grazing really was beneficial to see some of that rain come through. Definitely, definitely. Good to see that. And uh, helping out with some of the late season grazing, as you mentioned, uh, let, let's talk about overall pasture conditions, what you're hearing around the state and the upper Midwest, and just uh, thinking about What's uh, what some folks need to remember with their herds here as we get ready to head into winter and try to take advantage of some of the uh, grazing opportunities that are, are out there until that heavy, heavy snow flies? What's your thoughts? What's some tips you would share? You know, one of the biggest tips as we start looking at winter feed and laying in for this winter and what are we going to do is the longer we can keep cows out on pasture or out in corn stalks or aftermath grazing, really saves in the utilization of harvested forages throughout this, you know, that we put up all summer. And that's a kind of a no-brainer and a no-kidding type of comment that I'm throwing out there for most of your producers. But as they're looking at that um, moisture that we had this fall, we're really given that opportunity to say, okay, we can be out on pastures longer because we had that later green up. Um, you know, and that gives us a couple more weeks to get corn out of the ground before we would go into grazing corn stalks where maybe we can graze for, you know, a dollar per head per day or something like that instead of using some of those expensive feedstuffs that we put up all summer. So, you know, we've seen some pretty good improvement in pasture conditions from last year, you know, late October um, comparison frames. So that kind of gives us a little bit of a warm, fuzzy feeling moving into next spring if we happen to get snow that keeps the moisture coming so that we can kind of refill that profile. Because, you know, while we've seen some improvement, it's still not very good. <laughs> so, um, you know, and that was just one part of the state. The other part of the state had a lot of rain and were able to um, comfortably run cows most of this fall. So, it's really going to be dependent on where you're at and what things look like. Well, and to your point as well, some of those expensive uh, feedstuffs, I mean, I uh, think about the uh, current price of hay or if we're using something else in the in the feed bunk there, I mean, corn, wheat, you name it, prices are high. Uh, so, and two, on top of that, you mentioned some of that corn stalk grazing, corn stover. I mean, with some of the late corn harvest in parts of the Northern Plains, that that does sound like that could be a good opportunity here as uh, farmers wrap that up. But just thinking about the the different things out there, I mean, between grazing corn stalks or you know getting to have to use some of those expensive feedstuffs, I mean, that cost is is definitely pretty high right now, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we're looking, you know, still at feeds, you know, that harvested hay it being maybe one hundred and eighty five dollars a ton if you're trying to buy it. Um, you know, and that's going to be very location dependent. And it, you might say, well, I put up my own, so it didn't cost me that much. 
which is okay if you're putting different numbers on it that way. But we really need to look at what our budget is and have those, you know, not just a financial budget, but also budget for how many bales of hay we need throughout the winter and how many cows we have and what we're trying to feed so that we make sure that we're not caught short come March or April, you know, or even May if we would have a late winter and we still need to be supplementing cows before they go out to grazing again next spring. So looking at what those current prices are and taking advantage of aftermath grazing, you know, and then supplementing with some protein if we need later on, if we're able to keep the cows out there in the fields and not in our lots and having to feed them expensive feeds, you know, silage or whatever that might be for your operation really is going to be beneficial and a key component. So putting the numbers to it and also the total number of tons that we need is also going to be pretty stellar numbers that you need to be looking at so that we're making sure that we don't get caught in the dark and running out of feed and having to sell cows or something that we're not really planning on because we we didn't have the feed stuff stocked in for us. Yeah, good thoughts. Uh, Heather, before we wrap it up and let you go today, any other final tips you would share as uh, we're getting ready for the winter months ahead on our uh, feedlot operations? Anything else final you want folks to remember? Just one great big reminder that go check your waters. Make sure that, you know, the heaters are working and the furnace that you have set up to keep those um, thawed out. That'll save you a lot of time and agony this winter when it is cold. So check those, make sure that you got your fences ready to go for feeder calves that you might be locking in. Um, There's some new insurance products coming out for cow-calf producers that they might want to be looking at um, if they're in one of the the new states that have been approved for that. So look at some of that insurance products that might be available. Um, Just lots of things going on in the industry every day, and that's nothing really new to producers there's always that next thing to be paying attention to well with that heather gessner with south dakota state university extension heather thanks so much for joining us here on aoa we'll get you back on the show again soon thanks so much it sounds good thank you and they have a lot of great resources available as well online extension.sdstate.edu or if you have certain questions like these reach out to your local county extension office We're out of time on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, Even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others, all these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare.